Hi, and welcome to the final episode of the East German Fashion History Podcast. And I'd just like to thank all of you for listening, recommending, and following this project. I'd like to give a special thanks to the Canadian Fashion Scholars, the Chic Podcast, and the Unravel Podcast. And I just want to say it has been a ride. I really didn't expect to record 14 episodes with over, uh, well over 100 pages of research. I really hope you enjoyed this fashion history intensive podcast. And I believe that there just needs to be more research dedicated to East German fashion history material textile, decorative arts culture, specifically in English, because while I was doing this research, I, I didn't find what I was looking for. Everything was in German. So I hope even though this is a small history, this is a very small bit, I hope I changed that, that and broadened the narrative to English-speaking readers and listeners. So we'll be back in two weeks with season two, where I'll delve into different themes like fashion in a post-GDR society, fashion and architecture, fashion and film, textiles, knits, and fabrics of style, fashion photography, tastemakers and game changers. And if you have any other topics you'd like me to explore in the next season, please feel free to let me know via Instagram. You can just look for C Nickel, that's Nickel, N-I-C-K-E-L. Or you can go onto the blog and comment below. So this week, we'll be finishing the chronology with the years from 1986 to 1989. First, I'd like to start off with last week's major concepts and moments this week's topics, and then delve into the chronology. This Friday will be the final edition of Got a Hot Minute, with the recommended weekend read being Socialist Modernism in Germany, and it's a book on architecture and really surveys all the best buildings within that era. And as always, all images for this week's episode will be on the blog posted on Friday. So let's look at highlights from last week, topics for this week, and delve in. So we looked at number one, fashion counterculture and the creative collectives like Chic Charmant und Dauerhaft or Chic Charming and Lasting and other collectives like the Alalairau, which is a name of a brother's grim fairy tale that translates to a thousand furs. So both of these and other collectives were centrally located in Prenzlauer Berg, East Berlin, where they created fashion shows and a rogue collection founded by Sabine von Oettingen all in 1984 is really when this all took off. Their greatest form of resistance was in the clothes they wore their theatrical photographs by Sibylle Bergemann and Sven Marquardt, and the fashion shows they produced in places like East Berlin, the East Berlin, East Berlin train station, um, Ostbahnhof. And a lot of them had 
a lot of had influences in the higher main, higher echelons mainstream fashion of East Germany, specifically at Sibylle, because they were either designers at the state-owned German Fashion Institute or they were photographers like Sibylle Bergmann and Sven Marquardt that were also working full-time in the industry. Two, Exquisite. In the 80s, Exquisite, despite all of its trials and tribulations, and a few triumphs really continues to lead the way as your go-to for trending fashion. Now, the majority of the goods offered were GDR designed and produced. In terms of imports, most of those were accessories and they came from Western countries like Austria, Italy, France, and Japan. By Western, I mean capitalist, uh, not a geographic region. So my apologies for that inconsistency. Last week, we looked at one of their head designers, Hannelore Gabriel, who, in collaboration with the Bauhaus Dessau, designed outfits for the Winter Olympics in 1984. Three, the magazine Pramo, Praktische Mode, was the egalitarian and practical counter to Zibylle, creating clothing patterns for everything from children's carnival costumes to trending fall women's wear. Now, this week, we will look at... Number one, perestroika and rising political tensions. Two, Zibilla's efforts to balance superficial political celebrations with the societal mood and inescapable, re and inescapable realities of the GDR. Three, Sven Makvat's ever-increasing influence on the voice and vibe of Zibilla. And eventually the fall of the wall. So, 1986, even into the late 80s, the GDR continues to throw these lavish state-endorsed ceremonies and various anniversaries and festivals, which were in sharp contrast to the crisis-ridden state of the German Democratic Republic. And this was something that we had seen last week. These staged celebrations Symbolic of a sense of national pride that party members were trying to instill while the realities were existential trickled down into the fashion press. On the sixth issue of Zibylle, photographer Zibylle Bergemann documents Die Entstehung eines Denkmals, the emergence of a memorial, which is part of an ongoing project for the memorial, for what was going to be the memorial of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, this becomes a double page spread. Now, I don't have an image of this. I'm definitely going to try and find or muster one up by Friday, and I'll be glad to post it if I see it. Now, another part that I want to account for, because facts, dates, and editions of magazines are important, are personal accounts, which I've been doing throughout this podcast. And I think the voices of models can never be heard enough, especially in this day and age. And specifically at Sibylle, because they had a very tight connection with the fashion underground, they were modeling doing work for the CCD. They were sort of all over the place. So they're, they're really important in the piece to this ever-growing twisting and turning network of the East German fashion industry. So we're going to look at Arun Gote. Apologies if I think I botched that name up. 
Um, and she recalls how she first came to getting into modeling. So she was approached by Dorothea Mellis, who asked her if she was east or from the east or west. And she says, quote, I snapped back at her and said, what a dumb question. She gave me her phone number. I was to contact Exquisite for their luxury clothing line. I thought it was a joke. Me and modeling? This didn't fit me. And that's how I started. Up until puberty, I was a tomboy and clothes were not a big deal. Through modeling, I learned about the magic of makeup and clothing. We would wear really crazy costumes, sometimes cashmere, silk, and really theatrical pieces. I think a lot about how everything was back in the day. After rebelling against the streamlined socialist everyday life, I suddenly discovered the adventure of fashion in the fashion world. She had originally been in a nursing school program and was kicked out and then sort of made her way back through modeling. She says, quote, we lived in a niche in which we could be partially free. Everything was so playful, weird, funky, and privileged in a very special way. It was full of contradictions with the longing for freedom, with the loss of friends who are in the West, with doubts, fears, and great dreams. In the GDR, nothing was easy. Everything was about how you carried yourself, and that affects you. I often say, quote, in the East, I learned the measure of resistance that I needed to survive in the West. The photo shoots often had a party vibe. You jumped in a car and you went somewhere. I often did my own makeup and on some pictures, I'm wearing my own clothes. When things came out of the industry, Zabilla had to style it in a way to make it appealing and look fresh. We kept laughing about how stiff the fabric was and how boring the silhouette was. And of course there was competition against models who would you know, start the show or who was the coolest. I never wondered what it was like outside of East Germany until after the fall of the wall. After the wall, I did continue modeling in the West for designers like Yves Saint Laurent and Karl Lagerfeld. But it was so competitive. It was a business without the charm. In the East, we were all a team and everyone knew each other. And it was the photographers and editors who were to depict the zeitgeist and the woman as an individual within the system. In the background, gray, empty streets, and in the foreground, beauty that triumphed everything. A lot of it was about depicting this contrast and not selling clothes. We told stories over our time, and that had to do with art, unquote. So that's a really interesting way to not only conclude this episode, but include, conclude this series in terms of other depiction, other accounts from models from Zabilla. So concluding 1986, you have these state celebrations that continue in the GDR. And in, despite the, um, despite the heightening tension and I, included Arlene Goethe's account of the modeling industry, which also 
lends another insight into this idea of camaraderie in the East German fashion industry. And that's something that one of the previous models I had accounted for, sorry, I don't have her name with me right now, had said too was a sense of camaraderie. 1987. So Mikhail Gorbachev's gives a speech about perestroika, which was intended to transform the social and economic system of Soviet Russia with initiatives like relaxing trade restrictions with the West. And this really signals a change in the GDR as grassroots resistance groups see an opening. One such example was the underground radio show Radio Glasnost that was that would make cassette taped messages to be smuggled into East West Berlin and integrated into the alternative radio station, Radio 100. In Zabilla's fall edition, the fifth edition of that issue of 1987, there is a cover page, um, Rote Mode in Moscow. Red is the fashion in Moscow. Now this was a celebration of the 70th anniversary of Russia's October Revolution, and it was photographed by Hans Prefke. The photographs showed models in dramatic poses on a rooftop which overlooks the Kremlin. They are wearing multi-layer tulle skirts designed by the experimental collections of the All Union Institute. And there's really symbolic weight of this editorial. It's undeniable, as the Isa Zabilla are now to turn to Moscow for political change and direction. Images of that editorial, images to that editorial would be on the blog. Another major theme for this year in that in Zabilla was the historical foundations of the city of Berlin. And you see that with Werner Mahler's two important works, um, 750 Years of Berlin from their first issue of that year. And then there was also Die Berliner Straßen, or The Streets of Berlin, which featured varying street, streetscapes with models wearing the latest from the VEB, or VEB, the publicly owned fashion and clothing factories. From sleeked rib, ribbed knit sets, with a more conservative cut to and silhouettes to slightly sexier kind of satiny mini blazer dresses Berliner Straßen not only showed a variety of the latest styles wherever you may fall on the fashion spectrum or within you would consider what you would be comfortable wearing in your age whether it's conservative colorful and cosmopolitan or coquettish but with caution in addition to that, Vanamala also showed cityscapes, and they're undeniably East German. You see Trabants parked on the side of the street, and buildings that aren't overly commercialized with superfluous advertisements as you would find in West Germany. Now his work, and more of these architectural elements and cityscapes is something that's going to be a theme explored in season two. In this same year, Sven Marquardt also begins to work at Sibylle as a photographer. Now, he began as a technical assistant for Rudolf Schäfer, another name I threw around before, who was also working at Sibylle as a photographer. Since 1984, though, uh, Marquardt had been also photographing the punk and underground fashion scene of Prenzlauer Berg. 
So he came to the magazine, uh, to the magazine, just as society was really beginning to unravel quite quickly. And his, his visual language though was East Berlin, but unlike his surroundings, he was interested in theatrics and in these staged sets. His photographs consisted of illusions that revealed the longing for personal freedom and self-fulfillment which was consistently detached from the traditional East German societal lifestyle. As he put it, quote, my photographs were always staged. Also the portrait, the portraits of my friends who had the same fun dressing and transforming as I did, becoming the photographer of an avant-garde fashion scene. And it was the fashion editors at Sibylla that really swooned over his work and his young, unconventional aesthetic. The fact that he had a lot of punk ties and was kind of a punk himself was fascinating and he's a really interesting person to to look up Sven Makvat he currently he's still a photographer and works for Berghain Berghain if you've been to Berlin is a legendary techno electronic club and he works there as a photographer does some other stuff but he's he's kind of he's definitely mainstay so concluding 1987, uh, Gorbachev's 1986 speech on Perestroika really feels its effects in the underground resistance movements. Zabila celebrates the 70th anniversary of the October Revolution with the editorial Red is the Fashion in Moscow and Vanna Mala's important contributions to fashion photography are demonstrated in the series 750 Years of Berlin and Berlin Streets. 1988. Now, although Sibylla no longer had any reason to proclaim any credible political message, it was the photographic ideas of its well-respected editors and photographers and some newcomers who established its legitimacy. It was a forum for ambitious photography in an environment where the business-critical artistic potential of the medium moved more and more into consciousness. And it was the captivity of state authorities and regulations which preceded the fall of the wall, and that was captured and something they never thought they would be capturing. There had been a lot of crossover with the underground fashion scene in Prenzlauer Berg, and there were various reasons for this to happen in the magazine which they, while you know they tried to avoid regular checks not only with regard to the political content and the special links to nonconformist activities but on the other hand there was another there was a need for a certain obligation to young artists who had completed an, an apprenticeship or finished at the Leipzig art school and it was editorials like Sven Makvat's the Jünger Klassiker or the Young Classics that featured the work of these young graduates and their collections and some of their work for their collections. But, you know, he gave a, a bolder, more stylized mood, unlike this austere naturalism one would find in Zabilla and what we've seen. And I just like to point out that's a really interesting fact to think about because if if you're someone who is interested in studying or understand better understanding the relationship between fashion graduate early fashion graduates and fa fashion publications this is this is a really interesting point because it's Sven Makvad who's photographing these new newly graduates to photograph for Zabilla for their 
pieces that will be part of the state-owned, that will be produced at state-owned factories and people's own factories. So concluding 1988, tensions increase with the Zibilla in their need for young, fresh voices and their and the politicization and surveillance of the party really comes to a whole new level. And Sven Machvat marks his headway with his series, The Junge Klassiker, The Young Classics. 1989. Just like his series, Young Classics, Machvat releases this editorial, uh, it's called Lace, and it features lace dresses deliberately sensual and ethereal but something kind of slightly more racy for for the publication and i'll have pictures of that in the blog also at the beginning uh of this year at sibylle the the theme mode aus pecking or fashion out of peking is a central theme and it's interesting that they They focus on this because Peking is soon going to be associated with the violent suppression of the Tiananmen Square student uprising. Also, you have Dorothea Mellis, who features a fashion photography classified, which looked at, which reflected back on three decades of photo stories told in Zibillum. And then that same year, uh, so every issue, Carla Vodak, the editor-in-chief, would open the magazine with an editorial that focused on the 40th anniversary of the JDR. And in one such issue, I'd love to get a hold of it, she highlights the builders and the architects of the Socialist Republic. And this includes photographs from the post-war period But when you look at these photographs against some of the more dilapidated areas of modern run East German East Germany, you see some striking subversive and sad similarities. And especially when you think about the fact that by May of that year, with the opening of the Hungarian border, these tensions within the GDR to escape, to leave are exhaustive. In May of 1989, the state centralized publishing house for women, which controlled all of the women's focused publications and media, announced it already had concrete plans for, quote, from, quote, political bodies for a new fashion era that was to start in early 1990s. So they're, they're, they're gearing up for this change. And it was an arduous, you know, evolution for the magazine. But I'd like to note that as people that are listening to this, whether as West Germans, Europeans, Americans, or people of not from this geographic region that have never have experienced or had family members that have experienced living living in a communist state, I think it's impossible to to deeply empathize with and understand what this era, what this must have felt like. If we look and think of the emergence of youth cultures in the 60s, op art, pop art, and that initiated minimalism in the 80s, and then you would helmet laying, grunge, and heroin chic, which is when the GR no longer exists, 
All of these were profound cultural changes that happened within the Western and mostly capitalist countries. And you never had this in the land of the revolution. The energies which were undoubtedly present in Eastern Germany are now being slowed down many a times with the fall of the wall. And then after the fall of the wall, you have the Neuorientierung, which is something I'll highlight in season two about fashion in GDR, in a post-GDR society. So it's something to take note of. By September of 1989, 13,000 East Germans managed to escape into the West through Hungary. October 7th, in light of all the protests and demonstrations and existential problems facing the GDR, Hunaga continues with his celebrations with the 40th anniversary of East Germany. November 9th, however, the SED, also known as the SED, which was also more commonly known as the East German Communist Party, announced a change in the city's relations with the West. Starting at midnight that day, he said citizens of the GDR were free to cross the country's borders. And October 3rd of 1990, East Germany formally ceases to exist. In terms of, so in terms of the fashion industry, Zabilla would continue with its fashion publication up until 1995. Intershop would dissolve by 1990. And Exquisite, for the most part, went under while some of the more successful stores were, brought on, were bought on by Western retailers. So I'd like to thank all my listeners and friends and followers who have tuned in to this podcast. Really appreciate it, and especially this episode. Stay tuned for Friday's episode of Got a Hot Minute, where I'll be reviewing socialist modernism in Germany. And I'll see you in two weeks for season two, where we'll dive deep into these specific fashion-related themes I've mentioned before. And this is also where I'm going to be talking about another critical moment of the GDR fashion podcast and of this, which was called Die Wende, or the post-wall, after the wall, what happened with the GDR society. And I've split this up to give you some time and space to think, and then we can refresh and think about the post-wall society and what that all means in terms of the fashion culture. Season two will run on a different schedule with bi-monthly episodes airing every Friday. And I'm so sad to say it, but danke, and I'll see you in two weeks.